Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Welcome, I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Mark Atkinson is the Director of Atkinson Legal, the leading strata law firm in Western Australia. Mark has worked in strata law since 1996 and was a founding director of Strata Community Australia and president of SCAWA for four years. He is a fellow and council member of the Australian College of Community Association Lawyers. Now, Mark was the instructing solicitor in the recent Western Australian Ceresa River Apartments Court of Appeal case. And in that case, the court upheld a bylaw made by the developer of the strata scheme that Mark was acting for. And this bylaw effectively prohibited holiday lets. To give us his unique insight into this case and what it means for holiday letting in Strata, I am delighted to welcome Mark Atkinson. Welcome, Mark. Delighted to be here this afternoon and thank you very much for the invite. Thank you for making the time. As the leading Strata lawyer in Western Australia, I know you are a very busy man, so good to capture your attention for a little while. Yeah, occasionally busy. (laughs) Now, I've had a read of this case, Mark. I read it when it came out. I received quite a few emails about it. Members inside my online community, the YSP online community, are asking questions about it, posting in the forum. What does this mean for bylaws that attempt to restrict short-term letting? And I thought to myself, well, you're the best person to ask about that. Can I start by asking you to give us, as best you can, a short summary of the facts of the Ceresa River case? Sure, delighted to. Um, three lots in a luxury high-rise residential scheme in Rivervale, which is a suburb close to the city, beautiful place overlooking the Swan River. They decided to list their apartments on an Airbnb-style website. Mm-hmm. It wasn't actually Airbnb, but a, a similar website. They did the right thing. They went to the local government and uh, sought approval for that change of use and got approval for that change of use. However, the Strata company had a bylaw in place. In fact, this bylaw had been in place from the get-go from when the scheme was first registered that limited the use of the lots to use as a residence or letting to residential tenants. Now, we didn't draft the bylaw. Mm -hmm. Uh, The developer did, but we did act for the strata company in the litigation. So the strata company, as part of its obligation to enforce the bylaws, went to the uh, local state administrative tribunal, similar to NCAT in New South Wales, and obtained orders effectively banning uh, this use of these lots. Uh, Mr Byrne, who was the co-owner of uh, one of these three lots, then appealed obtained leave to appeal and appealed to the West Australian Supreme Court. He uh, was unsuccessful in that appeal and uh, he then sought and obtained further leave to appeal to the West Australian Court of Appeal, which is the highest court in uh, Western Australia before you go to the High Court. Okay. So that was the last stage in this uh, this litigation was the West Australian Court of Appeal decision. It didn't go on to the High Court. 
Okay, and we're going to get stuck into the findings and the reasons of the Court of Appeal. But before we do that, I just want to set the scene a little bit more for our listeners. So this was a bylaw that required that lots be used for the purpose of a residence and for residential tenants. It actually used those words. Yes, that's correct. It didn't say anything about short-term letting, about stays of less than three months. It didn't have anything in there about the timing. Nope. Absolutely not, and that became a, a crucial point. It didn't ban holiday letting. It wasn't a, a bylaw that banned holiday letting. It was expressed in the positive to the effect that the use uh, of the lot was confined to uh, use as a residential use and uh, use by or for residential tenants. Okay. And interestingly, Mr Byrne had the approval of the local council yes. to use his lots for, what did the council call it? I think it was service departments or might have been short stay use. So I'm yeah, I think you're right. I think it was service departments and then there was a, a definition of service departments. I'm just actually looking at the case now. Independent living, residential, providing for short stay accommodation. Yes. So that was the definition in the planning instrument and he had approval from the council to yes. operate a service department. Yes. The difficulty for him is that the local government requirements in Western Australia are not the only requirements he has to meet. He also has to comply with the bylaws. And this case was about whether this particular bylaw could restrain this use, given that the local government had approved uh, his desired use. All right. So what did the Court of Appeal decide and what were their reasons? In essence, they dismissed the appeal. Uh, There was a slight variation to the orders, though, that had been made by the State Administrative Tribunal and by the court below. Um, In essence, they held that... Um, and I'm just reading this out, Uh, use as a residence meant use as a settled or usual abode, Mm -hmm. and this precluded occupation, quoting, by persons who merely use the lot as tourist accommodation or as accommodation for holidays or other breaks away from their settled or usual abode. And if I can just draw out an example that came out through the course of submissions in the case, the example was uh, discussed in the courtroom about an an academic who might be moving to Western Australia for employment at a university and they might not be able to obtain a house straight away. Mm -hmm. So they might desire to use an apartment like in Sarusa River Apartments for a short-term use. Might only be six weeks until they can find an apartment or a, a place in which to live more permanently. In the view of the Court of Appeal, it's pretty clear from the discussions during the hearing and from the judgment, that that sort of use they would see as uh, use as someone's settled or usual abode for that period of time, even though it might only be for six weeks or so. It's not about the length of time that someone is staying in an apartment, at least not under this bylaw. It is instead about whether for that period of time that they are there, it is their settled or usual abode. Mm. And I suppose if you think of the word residence and residential tenant, everybody, hopefully, if you're not living on the street, has a place of residence. And when I'm off in Surfers Paradise or visiting lovely Perth and I'm staying in an Airbnb, well, my residence is back here in Sydney, isn't it? It's not the the apartment that I'm staying in for that week. That's right. It has been recognised in prior cases that someone might have two residences, however, and it's certainly not the case that 
um, you swap from one to the other uh, automatically. It's a question of intent and facts on the ground. I mean, are you using it as your settled or usual abode? Do you intend to use it as your settled or usual abode? So there are certainly those in the strata community who would want to more definitively set and be able to set time limits on occupation. So bylaws that prevent someone from occupying a lot for less than three months, for example. This decision provides no support for that sort of a bylaw yep. and, in fact, provides support for the view that that sort of a bylaw would, in fact, breach our Section 42.3, which is equivalent to your Section 139.2. Mm, let's talk about that. Can we just cover off what your Section 42.3 actually says, and you're right, it's substantially the same as our Section 139.2. Yeah, it, it restricts or um, it provides that a bylaw cannot operate so as to restrict or prevent, relevantly, the leasing of lots. Mm. And as I read the case, Mr Burns' lawyers tried to argue that this bylaw did indeed do that and yes. was therefore fell foul of Section 42.3. And we had tried to run, a, as a firm, a um, similar argument to the argument that Mr Byrne was running, and we tried to run that argument probably 10 years ago <laughs> uh, in a case here uh, which went just before the State Minister Tribunal, and we were unsuccessful in that argument mm -hmm. that the effect of a bylaw was to uh, make it impossible, practically impossible, to lease a lot. And the member in that other case decided, no, that's not what it's about, and the Court of Appeal really confirmed that here. Yes, it may restrict the marketability of a lot, but that doesn't mean that the bylaw itself is restricting the letting of a lot in the sense intended by Section 42.3. Mm. I suppose it's restricting the way the lot can be used. It's not restricting the fact that the lot can be leased. Yes. Yep. All right. Now, with very similar legislation here in New South Wales, do you think this decision is going to impact the interpretation of similar bylaws in New South Wales? Well, I'm, I'm not qualified to advise about New South Wales <laughs> law. I'm only admitted to practice in Western Australia. My personal view is, yes, it should. The West Australian Court of Appeal took into account, at our request, decisions of the New South Wales courts in considering how to construe the bylaw. There's a, a decision called Grain Corp Operations Limited mm -hmm. and Liverpool Plains Shire Council uh, about the meaning of residence. It also followed some early New South Wales Court of Appeal decisions, the Hamlima case and Babson and Saluno cases as well. So the Court of Appeal decision, uh, with the benefit of some very good advocacy by the lawyers on each side, did a pretty comprehensive review of similar cases around Australia mm -hmm. and also relevant cases from the UK as well. So if you have legislation in New South Wales that is in similar terms to Section 42.3 and Section 42.1 about the, the topics that a bylaw can cover off, then I would see that it would have an impact on the construction of similar bylaws uh, in New South Wales. However, I note that there has been a subsequent decision of your NCAT mm -hmm. uh, to the contrary. Mm -hmm. I've read the case. I can't see the text of the bylaw in the case. I can't see whether the Sarisa River Apartments decision was cited to it or whether they were aware of it. Mm. So it is settled, I think, by uh, this decision in Western Australia, but there's clearly still some working out to happen in New South Wales as yet. 
Mm. Just for the benefit of our listeners, the New South Wales NCAT case that Mark's talking about is called Estens, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can go and read it. And I do actually have the text of the bylaw inside my members-only forum. Very kindly, one of my members tracked that down and posted it and then asked me what I thought about it. Look, the um, it's a different bylaw to what you saw in Cerisa River. It's a different bylaw to what I've seen produced by other lawyers and what I would produce under instructions. And there were a number of problems with it. The reasoning in the case is difficult to grasp. Um, There are references to not to Cerisa River, uh, but to fair trading advice and and things that we wouldn't usually think as lawyers would be binding legal instruments or any case law. I don't know if there will be an appeal. Neither party was represented in that case. I think perhaps each party's been approached by lawyers since saying, hey, let let me help you out and try to clear some of the air surrounding this case now. But no, it doesn't have the same status as Sarisa River will have. Mm. And we're looking forward to a decision from a superior court that will give us a bit more guidance. And I agree with you, Mark. Uh, I think Sarisa River will be very persuasive in that respect. Mm. I want to talk about the role of the council here and planning instruments and planning authorities. Going back to your case, Mr Byrne had the approval of the council to operate his lots as service departments and it is set out in the judgment that one of the conditions of that approval was that Mr Byrne go and seek the consent of the strata company, which he, I don't know whether he did or not, but the bylaw existed, so that wasn't going to happen. I find that a bit hard to grapple with. What we see there is the ability of a strata scheme to, in effect, overrule the Mm. planning authority. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts as a lawyer in relation to this case are that it's been settled law sometime in Western Australia that bylaws can regulate uses in a way similar to, but not necessarily the same as, the control of uses by local governments under local planning schemes. So what I've discussed before at uh, ACL presentations is that in Western Australia, we essentially have, or could have, twin track planning controls. Mm. So you could have a planning control, and you do have planning controls imposed by a local planning scheme or the like, and you also have de facto planning controls imposed by um, bylaws made by strata schemes or made for strata schemes uh, on registration. Now, that would appear to be uh, even more so the case now with Cerisa River Apartments being an authoritative decision. Whether that's a good thing or not is not really for me to say. Mm. Certainly, I don't believe that it would be good for planning to be conducted by strata schemes on a broad scale across Western Australia. Cathy Sherry's book makes that argument pretty strongly, I think, and pretty clearly. Part of the difficulty also here is just a lack of understanding by those in the planning sector about the role of strata and the role of strata bylaws. So, in fact, from from recollection, it wasn't a condition of the development approval that Mr Byrne and others obtain. It was uh, obtain the consent of the strata company. It was simply a request or an advice note that they should do so. But some of the difficulties stem from the differences in definitions between residents in the local planning scheme and residents for the purposes of these particular bylaws. Across 
Perth and across Western Australia, the local planning schemes unfortunately do differ. There's model text, but it's not always adopted. And they haven't, with respect, always kept up to date with the introduction of Airbnb and other similar websites and the use made of apartments under that. So, look, I, I think there's some problems there with definitions in the planning controls and, and in a part that then leads to strata schemes attempting to control the use made of lots when really, ideally, it would be a matter solely dealt with by the local government in a proper fashion. Mm. I draw a distinction when it comes to um, development approvals where the council has allowed, and I've been in this kind of a case, where the council has allowed a lot owner to carry out work. In this case, it was to deal with a ceiling that was within a commercial property. And the council, for whatever reason, they needed council approval to do what they wanted to do. The council said they could do it. But one of the conditions of the consent was that they obtain the consent of the owners corporation. And there was a reference to the relevant section in the Strata Schemes Management Act that says, if you are going to add to alter the common property, you need a special resolution and probably a bylaw. Now, I separate that from a position where the local council may say you can use your apartment for serviced apartments or short-stay accommodation, but just go and check with your owner's corporation first Mm. if that's okay because they might have a bylaw, they might decide they don't like it. I'm a little bit more uncomfortable with that. And we do have a section in our legislation here, I'm not sure if you have the same, that a bylaw must not be contrary to the Act or contrary to any other law? Yes. It's not a requirement at the time when you're making the bylaw that be the case, but certainly it's one of the grounds on which you could challenge a bylaw is that it is contrary to the Act or any other requirement that ought to have been observed, which would presumably include any other statutory requirement. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in Cerisa River, there was no challenge to the validity of the bylaw. No, no, no. And curiously so. Mm. So it was about what the bylaw meant, what the term residence meant, not whether we could even make a bylaw that attempted to restrict in that way. Well, it it was about that in the sense that um, the challenge was made relying on Section 42.3 of our uh, local Strata Act, uh, that it restricted the uh, letting of lots. A challenge was also made that, based on the Residential Tenancies Act, that the meaning of the word residence in This particular bylaw was not the one for which we contended, but there was no challenge ever mounted to the validity of this bylaw under the section that would have allowed for such a challenge. I don't know, frankly, what would have happened had such a challenge been mounted, but it wasn't. Yep. Okay. So here is the uh, million dollar question, perhaps more for some people. What are you now recommending to buildings who want to use bylaws to prohibit short-term letting in their buildings. Okay. West Australian only is, I need to stress, because it's settled in Western Australia but not settled elsewhere. In Western Australia, my position is perhaps thought to be a little unusual, but do not ban short-stay letting because if you try to ban letting for less than three months, it will likely be held to be invalid. But that's not the only reason why I think controls on short-stay letting in schemes uh, can be problematic. More generally, I am recommending to owners that they act cautiously and only act after being armed with knowledge. 
the Sarisa River Apartments litigation cost each side a very large sum of money. Mm. And theoretically, it could have gone further on to the High Court had Mr Byrne been so minded. So although my client was ultimately successful in obtaining the order that it sought, preventing this particular use, it only achieved that after litigation extending over some years and at great cost, and also great cost to relations within the scheme, at least with Mr Byrne and, and others. So in my advice to schemes now, as I say, act cautiously and only act after you're armed uh, with knowledge. When people come to seek my advice about this issue, I ask them to understand the local planning scheme, to obtain the, the development approval that applies, to see what controls already exist. They may not have thought of them. I'm recommending that they negotiate with owners who wish to use Airbnb to see whether there's some voluntary controls could be imposed without the need for a bylaw to be made. And if you do want to make a bylaw controlling this use rather than banning it, then there are a lot of things that can typically be done which are fleshed out after discussions with the scheme. So improved internal security, uh, internal um, reporting is improved, internal compliance measures, or, or maybe even adopting a bylaw that uh, increases the levies for these owners after a complaint is received about noise or nuisance, for example. Mm. You could introduce a ban if there's a certain number of complaints in a 12-month period or the like. So there are a lot of ways to achieve the desired outcome of minimising the noise and nuisance impacts short of banning holiday or short-stay letting. And also I think owners considering a bylaw or bylaws need to consider what might happen with holiday lettings in the future, both for themselves personally and their, their use of their own apartments, but also more generally. I mean, I understand Airbnb has elsewhere been controlled by government legislation. You need to consider whether that's going to happen in your jurisdiction. And Airbnb itself, as I understand, or is has introduced or is introducing a form of sharing of income with strata companies and strata schemes. So... The number one bit of advice that I'm conveying to people is please do not ban short-stay letting, but more generally act cautiously and be armed with knowledge about options and what can be done. Mm. And don't cut and paste the Sarisa River bylaw. <laughs> well, yeah, look, look um, please do not blindly copy it, as I've said. This outcome for this scheme was certainly a good one, ultimately, but it came at a great financial cost for everyone and also at the cost of some relations you know, within the scheme. So please do not blindly copy it. Mm. And I, I really like that idea of regulating the impact rather than yep. the activity. And we, we've seen that over the years with pets. And it seems a tiny example, but for many years, I, I think it's gone unquestioned that if you want to ban pets in your building, you ban pets in your building. But we're seeing that way of thinking change, particularly with the new legislation here in New South Wales that has removed that option as the default option in the model bylaws. And instead, there is greater information and education, I think, out there and advocates for permitting pets, but regulating the impact those pets have, noise, mess, disturbance, which just makes sense. And yep. I do yep. think Airbnb and the like are here to stay and we will be moving closer towards that method of regulation. And noting also in Western Australia, we benefit from currently having flexible legislation. So it is 
relatively easily done in Western Australia in legal terms to introduce a bylaw that allocates the levies in a way that's fairer, mm. uh, taking account of the use made of the common property or noise and nuisance problems and security costs, etc. So in Western Australia, we benefit from being able to alter the bylaws around that, which can then impact the decision of an owner about whether they're going to put a rugby team uh, in to their apartment every weekend yeah. when it's going to cost them a lot of money in, in strata levies and angst. So it will change that decision. Yeah, that's a good point to make because we don't have that level of flexibility mm. here in New South Wales and it's something that perhaps our legislators need to be thinking about. Yep, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for very clearly and articulately relaying the outcome and the, the reasoning in that case to us, Mark. I'm sure that's really helpful for a lot of our listeners and I'm sure there will also be more questions out there that will be coming through to me, so I might be flicking those ones off to you. <laughs> Expect a few emails. The book question, what books have had the greatest impact on you and why? Okay, well, uh, I'd have to say the Strata Titles Act because I've been working <laughs> in this space for uh, 20, 21 years and uh, I've read that particular book, inverted <laughs> commas, more often than any others. I'm going to be reading a new one because there will be a new act being introduced, so yes. I'll be doing some more uh, more reading of that. But going back to law school, one book that I always loved was Art and On Air's book on causation mm. and that the key takeaway for me in that book has always been that every gift that's made demands a gift in return. So if the granny turns up at Christmas unexpectedly with a gift for you, what's the first thing you think? It's not, oh, thank you very much, granny. <laughs> it's, oh, it's crap. Actually, oh, my God, <laughs> I, haven't got a, I haven't got a gift for granny. <laughs> I forgot granny. Um, Glisten's book on cross-examination as well too. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a fabulously written book uh, about how to better cross-examine. And more recently, um, Kathy Sherry's book on governance in strata schemes and property rights. I've, yep. uh, I've read that with great interest mm, and uh, it has certainly influenced my thinking and thinking of others in, in the firm. So, mm, Yes, I've taken to quoting Cathy to, sometimes to opponents of mine who, who like to tell me that you can't have a bylaw about this, you can't have a bylaw about that. I said, well, have a look at what one of our most esteemed academics is uh, writing here in New South Wales about all the kinds of things you can have bylaws about. Uh, strata is uh, an anathema to property law, as Cathy likes yes. to say. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right now, Mark, how do our listeners find out more about you and is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Okay, so uh, look, if the listeners are themselves lawyers, then I encourage them to sign up to membership of the Australian College of Community Associations Lawyers, yep. known as ACL, and uh, come to our next conference in Melbourne. It's a fabulous event. A lot of very fun people like uh, yourself and myself <laughs> and many others. Uh, and if they're strata owners in Western Australia, then please sign up to membership of Strata Community Australia WA and attend uh, one of the events. If I'm not speaking, I'm usually at the event and always happy to talk to owners. And also, if people do want to arm themselves with some more knowledge, then more generally, look up the, the West Australian Tribunal database. It's a mm. fabulous resource for understanding more about the law in this area. I recommend uh, people would do that. And the one thing I'd like to say again, I know I've already said it, please do not blindly copy the bylaw in Cerisa River Apartments. Please do not do that. <laughs> That's it. Well, I'll make sure that there are links to ACAL, to WASCA and the WA Tribunal in the show notes for the episode so our listeners can check all of that out. Thanks so much, Mark. Been a pleasure. Catch you next time. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? Thank you.